Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, over the last couple weeks, a lot has transpired. We've got a lot to get to. But before we start breaking it all down, let the listeners know what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. We've been gone for two weeks or more, but uh, we still do the same thing here. We bring you news and stories that are important, stories that aren't covered as much. We try to touch on them here. And stories that are covered a lot, we may touch on them if we feel they're important enough. Uh, like Frank said, before we get into the the important stuff, uh, Frank, you are a, well, we both are. We're fathers of little girls. And I just wanted to ask you, did you see the Malia Obama video? And what were your thoughts on her, I guess, people are saying twerking? So it's very interesting that you say that. And I, I am a father. My daughter is is eight months old so the thought of anything like that dan her dancing or even being in a position like that I just can't even fathom I, I i have joked around uh though she my i've seen my daughter she kind of bobbing up and down to some songs and i was saying i said oh you can't dance till you're 18 you know i would tell her and the funny thing is uh malia obama's 18 i believe so while while it was shocking and i did see the video and while it was a little bit shocking uh, she wasn't grinding on a guy it wasn't anything she wasn't being sandwiched or anything uh, you know she's at a concert <laughs> and she's she's you know i don't know what her friend had there's she has a friend next to her and has a red cup so i don't know what was in that red cup but she was definitely partying uh, you know i look at it like she's 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 been a daughter of a president i'm sure it's been tough i'm sure she's like any other teenager that wants to just kind of, you know, do what she wants to do. I, I think it was a little bit shocking because and we were talking about this before we came on. You know, she was she came into the public eye as a young girl, as a little girl, you know, eight, nine years old. Now she's a woman and she's twerking and it's just almost unfathomable to some people. But for me, it's just one of those things that, hey, that's what happens. You know, it's a cycle of life. She's getting to that point where she's going to be on her own and her father's out of office. She doesn't have to worry about maintaining her image as much. So I'd say you're more likely to see videos in the future for from maybe both of his daughters twerking. So, you know, go ahead. And, and like you said, she is 18. And unless you're raising a nun, more than likely it's going to happen. It's just as a father, it's not something you want to see. But on social media, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people that I went to high school with and even middle school. And some of the, the judging that they were doing kind of made me scratch my head because I'm from Mobile, where we used to have this thing called, I'm sure you remember, Frank, Teen Jams. And I remember how some of those same females used to dance, dance not at 18, but like at 13 and 14 years old, pretty much bending down, touching their toes. So, uh I think we we tend to forget how we were as youngsters, and like you say, she wasn't with a guy, and it, it was it was safe and clean. It's just something that you don't want to see. But uh, with that, let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, you 
again Frank for joining us for another Biden. episode of Politically Entertaining. Frank and I will discuss the conventions from a couple of weeks ago. We'll also talk about Corin. I hope I'm saying her name right, Corin Gaines. Uh, we have an interview with Travian Mathis, and we ask that you subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Podcast on Google Play. Before we get to those things, look, it seems like almost every week the big story, Frank, is Trump. But these last three weeks, man, I would say like from his convention until today has been like anything that I've ever unlike anything I've ever seen in politics. You start off with his convention. You had the whole plagiarism thing with his wife. Uh, you had his gaffe with Russia and in Ukraine where he didn't even know that Russia was there. Speaking of Russia, he encouraged them to hack the Democratic uh, emails, encouraging another country to hack emails of our country. His vice president that he picked, Mike Pence, disagrees with him on big issues, big issues, not little things, but things such as TPP, which we'll talk about later. Things like the Iraq war that Trump has been hitting Hillary on, not mentioning that his VP also voted for that Iraq war. His VP also is backing Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House. Trump is saying that he's not ready to do that yet. So you have this thing with Trump versus Paul Ryan, Trump versus John McCain, Trump versus, versus Kelly Ayotte. She's a senator from New Hampshire. And then the big thing you had was his beef with uh, Kazir Khan, whose son fought and, and died in, I believe it was Afghanistan. And he's he was going back and forth with him till somebody finally got to him and told him he needs to cut that out. And then you even had rumors, Frank, of him dropping out of the race and Obama even coming in flat out saying that he's not fit to be president. <laughs> it's a lot to go. It's a lot going on with this guy. What if anything stood out with this man who seems to be like the headline every week for the better part of a year? Did were you like me? Did, did the last three weeks seem like even more over the top than usual or, or to you? Is it just more the same? Hmm. That's, that's a great question. I, I think it was more of the same, to be honest with you. But here's what I think. I think that it was it was a concentrated dose every day. So before it was like, OK, you heard that he said something at a rally and it was like, uh, OK, that was weird. That was interesting. But then it was like every day because you had the convention. And so everything was squared on him. And what was he going to say? And as you mentioned, what was his wife going to say? And then things started coming up. And then obviously when the Democratic National Convention happened and they were taking shots at him and then he was responding basically in real time to the to the challenges he was receiving uh, in the National Convention for the Democrats. So it was just it was just unfathomable that it that he would continue at that pace every day. And I think that's really what was shocking. It's like I, I think people had gotten used to him making a straight comment here or there doing something you know, outlandish here and there, but it just became, like you said, three weeks of, um, of, of, of the ravings of a lunatic or a madman almost. And, you know, as you'll hear in the interview later, we, we, we're going to do, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing that, you know, this guy is a candidate for president. And I think that's really what I've come out of three weeks thinking like, man, you know, you thought that maybe this guy was just saying things here or there, maybe he's just misconstrued. But I don't think he left any doubt that he is definitely one, you know, egg, sh you know, short of a dozen, whatever the kind of term you want to use to specify somebody is not quite right. He is those things. And, and, and you know, the, like like you mentioned, the whole back and forth with the Khan family was just 
unconscionable that that you would. I mean, servicemen to me are are some of the most most selfless people in America. It doesn't matter what your religion are. You know, I, I think we should salute servicemen every day because they protect things that we don't even know about. They give their lives up so we can do this podcast and say what we want to say and and do all the things we do. And so to to go after the family of somebody who served, just just completely tone deaf and, and unbelievable. So it's it's crazy. It's, it, I don't. I, I want to say right now that this is as bad as it's going to get. But with him, with 90 days to the election, I don't say I, I don't think we have maybe seen the the worst thing that can happen. And then obviously the rumors of him potentially dropping out. I mean, what what is going on? That's incredible <laughs> to think of a presidential candidate dropping out 90 days before the race. But that's where we are right now. You you said uh, you, you can't believe that he has made it this far. I have long said, I don't think I've ever said it on this show, but I've long said that too much of America and Americans are stupid and or ignorant. And that's pretty much, that's not even an opinion. If you look at where we rank as far as education and everything that is intellectual, we rank at the bottom half on nearly everything. You look at him, he doesn't know simple things like what the nuclear triad is. He had two opportunities to find out what it was if he didn't know. And I don't have a problem with someone being ignorant of something. Nobody can know everything. But Trump and his voters, they seem to almost embrace and be proud to not know stuff. And that's what's, that's what's uh, frustrating, that they're proud to be ignorant. And, you know, Frank, you can miss me with that. Not you personally, but the people that are defending his voters they can miss me with that he's different or, you know, voters are angry. There's a reason why we've had the most malicious ever under this president. There's a reason why bigots and racists follow him and like him. You look at David Duke, who's running for the Senate, who's a grand wizard of the, the Ku Klux Klan, by the way, an organization that took Trump, I think, two days to denounce there's a reason why they gravitate towards him. This is a man who's never cared about anyone but himself. And all of a sudden we're supposed to buy that he's going to care about all of us and, and, and the working man and the middle class. I don't buy it. But again, he's ignorant. A lot of his voters are ignorant and they embrace it. And that's what's very frustrating about him and his candidacy. Frank, we had another high profile shooting. Uh, this time is actually close to where you are in Baltimore, uh, Corin Gaines. She was a 23-year-old mother of two. And before we discuss her any further, I feel like there's a lot of confusion with what's going on with her. So I'm going to try to go through the timeline because there are three main videos concerning this now deceased woman. The first video is a traffic stop that lasts over about 15 minutes. She's basically saying different things from you guys are going to have to kill me today telling her five-year-old son that he better fight. The police doesn't have the authority to arrest her or take her car. She was driving with a paper tag. She didn't have a, she didn't have a driver's license as well. So she wound up getting, I guess, a, a citation or, or, or arrested or what have you. She didn't appear in court. So an arrest warrant went off for her. There's a second video that shows her loading a shotgun. Which brings me to the third video, the final video of her and the so-called standoff with police officers. And she, you actually see like one of the SWAT team officers at her door 
with his gun lowered. Now, I think people are confusing the fact that there's a video of her loading her shotgun. That was not the same day as the standoff. There is no video of her actually holding the shotgun. We're going off police word on that. What happened is the police shot first. They alleged that she shot back. They shot three more times, killing her and hitting her five-year-old son in the arm. Frank, this is one of those, this is one of the few, you know, high profile black uh, minority killings where within the black community, takes on it have been divided. On one side, you had you have people that are saying she had it coming, she was crazy. And on the other side, you have people saying, well, the cops, they endangered that child and it had to be a better way to de-escalate this situation and prevent them from killing her. You're close to this area. Have you been following this story? What what did you take away from this? And what side are you on as far as that she had it coming versus there was a better way to handle this situation? You know, amazing thing to me is, you know, I don't know what to believe. I don't know. You asked me what side I'm on. I don't know yet because here's the biggest problem I'm having as far as getting the facts. We know that she did have a gun, you know, certainly. And, you know, just the main point before I even elaborate on that further is there was a child involved. So anytime there's a child involved, I would like to believe there is a way to resolve uh, the situation without loss of life because still the, the you know, it's still a, a child lost his parent in a, in a horrible way. You don't know how it's going to affect this child going forward. I mean, I don't think people think about that. People are saying, well, you know, even, even even if you're on the side that she let's say she did have a gun loaded and the police, you know, came in and, and she shot them or however you want to say it. Uh, the, this child is going to be um, all, forever affected by this and there's nothing that can be done about that. So with that being said, you know, I have I'm wondering a couple things, you know, obviously she's shown signs of being mentally unstable. I think I did see the video of the traffic stop. Something did not quite seem right to me. I'm not trying to say that she was crazy. I'm not a mental health professional or anything like that. Uh, although you can listen to an episode where we talked to Dr. Amanda Williams, just go to iTunes and, and download that one. But I will say there's something quite not quite right about her. Um, so that is something to consider. And my question is, why is a SWAT team of people coming to your house for what amounts to a parking ticket or whatever, you know, or failing to appear in court? And, and that to me is, is why are these police so aggressive in these situations? I think, it, I think, again, that's the main problem that people have when people say, well, the Black Lives Matter, what does it mean? What is it about? Um, I, I think that is what it's about. It's about this aggressive way that we're being targeted as, as African-Americans. And certainly she may have been in the wrong. So, so I, I will not completely absolve her if she did have a weapon and she did threaten the police. I think that is a bad idea. I do think that is a bad idea. But what I'm also saying is there's there's a number of people that I brought up before. Uh, Jared Loeffner, the, the young man from uh, Dylan Roof, all these guys who have shot people, who have had weapons, who are being brought in you know, without being killed. People who have pointed guns at police who have not been killed. So I think that certainly as an African-American, you certainly can't point a gun at the police and expect to live. I would say that. I mean, but there's been unarmed African-Americans being killed, which is the real infuriation here. I think the main thing I have and the main chatter that I'm hearing is what was done to de-escalate the situation? And that's not clear. That's not clear. And I think that's the frustration is whether or not she had it coming or whether or not she was being aggressive the police are not de-escalating these situations. And I think that is the most frustrating thing about it. They do not know they are not policing effectively. They are not trying to identify with 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 their they're treating it like a, a terrorist situation and not a 
a community situation. Like that's how you treat a hostage situation with a terrorist. Like, okay, there's a terrorist and he's got a kid. We got to get the kid out of there. Whatever is to be done. And it's like, this is somebody's mother. So at all means, at all costs, it should have been like, what can we do to stop her without her son being without a parent? And that was not done. And, and so for anybody who thinks that, you know, the police are in the right just because they, you know, it, policing isn't always about just being right. It's about serving and protecting. And I think that's what we're, we, we're, we're, we're having a, a miss, uh, a big divide in this country is some people feel like the police can do whatever they want to do as long as, you know, if they feel harm coming their way, they could be, should be able to do that. And then there's some that feel like police should be policing as friends of the community and not as exterminators. And I think that is the biggest thing here. It looks like another extermination. Uh, and that, and that's the frustrating part. Two police officers showed up at her apartment first. So you ask, you know, why was the SWAT team there? They showed up first and they alleged that she pointed a shotgun at them. So I assume that's when they got SWAT team involved and that's when they showed up. So for me, I can understand both sides because if you're looking at it as, well, she pointed a shotgun at the police, so they had no other choice. I hear you, but we also remember the whole Clive and Bundy ranch thing where you had people defending him and pointing their weapons at law enforcement during that standoff. You can also say, well, the police gave her six hours. They negotiated with her for six hours. They can only do that so long before they have to go in. Again, I hear you, but going back to Clive and Bundy, his son took over a federal building in Oregon that lasted for like a month. That was like earlier this year, I believe late last year. It lasted for a month before they were able to negotiate those gentlemen out of the building. So we have examples where law enforcement has taken all the necessary precautions to preserve life. And for some people, it doesn't seem like that's what happened. Uh, cops take your word seriously, people. So you look at that traffic stop she had where she's saying things like, you guys are going to have to kill me. You can't arrest me. I'm not getting arrested. You're not taking me alive. And it's alleged that she said, I'm going to kill you during that final standoff. They have to take those type of words seriously and, you know, address it accordingly. So you can't say those type of things. And if it's true that she pointed a weapon at them, then it does take a lot of options for the police officers off the table. My final take on this, Frank, is, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy, no matter how you look at it. She was beautiful. It's it's two kids that are now without a mom. And no matter what side you land on, you have to view this as an unnecessary loss of life. Because if, you, if you're siding with the police, then you are therefore saying that, you know what? She didn't have to, you know, chastise and, and, and pull out a shotgun and do all those type of things. She could have just peacefully got arrested and she would be alive today. And if you're on the other side, then you feel like law enforcement didn't do everything they could have and they should have preserved her life. So either way you look at it, in my opinion, it's an unnecessary loss of life and it's completely, completely sad. There's no clear cut answer on either side right now. For now, we're just taking the words of the police officers that she pointed a gun at them. And as we know in the past, sometimes police officers' stories don't match up with what really happened. So hopefully the complete truth will come out, but it's still a sad story. Uh, Frank and I will discuss sports and race a little later. Michael Jordan, a lot of you guys have been calling for him to say something, to do something on these tragedies. 
Well, he finally spoke up, and Frank and I will discuss that. We'll also talk about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's more or less a boring topic, but I feel like you're going to hear it a lot during the presidential debates, so I just wanted to briefly go over it. And we also have an interview with Trey Mathis coming up. Before we get to that interview, real quick, Frank and I, as we said earlier, we were off for the last two weeks. The conventions took place. Republicans were in Cleveland, Democrats in Philly. Uh, real, real quick, Frank. The uh, the Republican convention, what I took away from that was that funny-ass Ted Cruz speech where he just, he spoke and spoke and refused to endorse Donald Trump. That was hilarious. You had the whole thing with his wife stealing Michelle Obama's speech, and many people categorized it as a, a convention that really was just too dark. There was no optimism. With the Democratic convention, the last thing Hillary needed was an email leak. Anything that referenced emails, she didn't need it. But that's how they started their convention off with leaked emails or how they showed favoritism towards Hillary over Bernie. You also, speaking of Bernie, you also had his voters at the convention chanting and booing here and there. And the rest of the convention tried to overpower them. I don't know how close you were paying attention to your televisions, but a lot of times when they were chanting USA, USA, they were trying to drown out those Bernie voters. And some people felt like the Democratic convention was a little too optimistic and didn't talk enough about terrorism and the troubles that we're facing. We were off, Frank. What did you take away from each convention? That's a great question. I mean, both conventions were unique in their own way. I'll take it in reverse. I'll start with the Democratic National Convention. Certainly there there was a lot of, uh, you know, how would you say, uh, it, it was, there was a lot of kind of the vibes. Hillary was trying to kind of bring, I think, the vibe that uh, President Obama brought, uh, you know, eight years ago. I don't think she pulled it off quite as well because she's not as great an orator and she's not as well liked as uh, Barack Obama. But I, I do think that she did succeed in this one thing. She succeeded in uh, allowing herself to be seen as someone who is qualified to be the president. And I think that thing there might be enough. Now, as far as Donald Trump on the other side and the, and just the um, what was very interesting about the Republican National Convention is the, the speakers that they had up there talking, you, know, you have Lou Holtz up there saying crazy stuff about, you know, I don't want to celebrate your holidays. And those are just strange things. Uh, you know, Scott Bayo and Antonio Sabato Jr., it's like they had like a JV lineup of speakers when you compare it to the Democratic National Convention, who obviously had two former presidents and, and as well as a number of other, um, you know, well-known uh, politicians, you know, as such. So to me, the Republican National Convention played on a lot of fears. And I think that they did succeed in this in this in this in this level. They wanted to make people supporting them feel like. The world would end if if anybody but them got elected, if anybody but Trump got elected, because he and he alone, as he said, can fix the problem. So the fear mongering was was strong there. And if you are in tune to believe that that's the case, then then I think they got your got got some votes there. But, you know, to me, conventions are big pep rallies in my mind. And so you really have to kind of wait probably or maybe maybe around till Labor Day to see how maybe the conventions affected the poll numbers, if at all, because after right after the polls, 
excuse me, right after the Republican National Convention, Trump got a bounce. They said he was in the lead. Now Hillary did the National Democratic National Convention. They're saying, oh, she's in the lead. She got a bounce. So I think that it's worth looking at the poll numbers closer to Labor Day and then after both conventions had time to cool off. And then you'll see who really maybe got anything from the convention. But overall, it's a big pep rally. And, you know, both both people, both, excuse me, both parties had their message. You know, the Democrats are one of hope and change and optimism and the Republicans are one of fear uh, and, and, and whatever else, you know, they're peddling. And so it was it was to me successful on both sides. So we'll see how things turn out. You mentioned how both got a boost after their conventions. Uh, right now, it seems like Hillary may have gotten the biggest boost. I think Trump was ahead by seven points after his. She now, as of today, is ahead by 15 points in some polls. But like you say, it really doesn't matter to September. Like August, we're going to have the Olympics that distract us. September, when the debates start, that's when the polls really, really, really matter, when people really start making a decision. But uh, the final take I want to give on the convention was Michelle Obama's speech was nearly perfect. Uh, mostly everybody agreed, uh, except for Bill O'Reilly, who felt the need to point out that slaves were, quote, well-fed and sheltered. That's a real quote, folks, from Bill O'Reilly on Fox News. <sighs> We've had several entrepreneurs on this show. Our next guest adds to that list. Let's talk to Trey Mathis. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Join us today on Politically Entertaining. He is a United States Army veteran small business developer and entrepreneur. He's a CEO and co-founder of Locate Your City Incorporation. Travion Mathis, we'd like to thank you for joining us today, brother. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, I gave like the brief in- introduction of you, but with more detail, can you tell the people a little more about you and some of the businesses that you have going on right now? All right. Well, uh, as you said, I'm an Army veteran, served in the U.S. Army a little over five years. Uh, most of my tour was overseas in, in Germany. Uh, after the military, I pursued a lot of my entrepreneurial ambitions, started uh, Locate Your City uh, with my business partner. Uh, we've done some amazing things. Uh, since then, my goal and, and whole mission here in life now is to help uh, other people grow whether or not that's through education or through knowledge or anything that I can share. Uh, so that's what I've been doing here uh, up until this point and what I plan to do for the rest of my life. Sounds good. Now, I wanted to ask you, what what drove you to be, quote, your own boss in a sense? Like, were you tired of taking orders in, in the Army or was was that desire always <laughs> was that desire always there with you? Oh, wow. That's that's a good way of putting it. Uh, no. I wouldn't say I necessarily uh, got tired of taking orders in the Army, um, but after the Army, I would say that uh, realizing what the life is out in the civilian world, I do know that there's power to being a leader. There is uh, a service that comes from being a leader, and leaders are CEOs. Leaders are entrepreneurs. Leaders are those who are shaping tomorrow. So uh, I just naturally came to that 
decision that, hey, you know, we're going to do something in life. Let's do it based off of what we believe in and what we want to do. And that's what we've been pursuing every so since. Uh, I would say that the Army taught me the leadership ability, the fact that uh, if you have a right message or a right direction, people will follow. And then I took that into my entrepreneur passions as well. If I have a good direction, a good business idea, a good uh, uh, technique or idea that can help someone else, then people will follow. So that's why I became an entrepreneur. Yeah, Trey, I'm going to jump in here. This is Frank. Of course, you know me. Uh, this, I'm going to kind of jump right into uh, an interesting question. So obviously we're in the political season. Uh, you know, there's the election is no more than three months. So actually, I think it's almost exactly three months uh, from today. We're doing this on, on, I think, August the 4th. So with that in mind, obviously the two candidates are uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Now, this is not necessarily who you're going to vote for or anything like that. But this is here's an interesting question, because I know you've had experience with uh, network marketing. Donald Trump has a network marketing uh, business or had a network marketing business. I'm not sure if it's still current. It's called ACN. And I wanted to know, uh, he's obviously gotten a lot of flack over the last few months about his business dealings and about things like that. Had you looked at, a as a business owner and entrepreneur, had you looked at ACN as a viable option for network marketing? And if you did, what was what were some of the takeaways you had? And if you thought it was good or bad, just, just let the listeners know. Uh, well, no. Uh... I, I never took a closer look at ACN. Uh, I never, I've never actually have shown interest in ACN, uh, primarily because uh, network marketing, because you did drop my industry. Uh, network marketing is really a referral based program, which allows the people that you're connected with to expose you to products that you would not normally be exposed to. Uh, so what I would like to say is in my circle of friends, uh, I had never been exposed to ACN, so therefore I had never been associated with it. Uh, the company that I represent and I've associated myself with has come from a referral and is uh, based off of that referral that I chose to be involved in. And that, honestly, that's what network marketing is all about. Uh, when it comes to Donald Trump and his dealings and business and such, uh, I've heard that he has a lot of different business dealings and none of which I support. Uh, but at the same time, uh, to answer your question, no, I'm not familiar with ACN and, and what what all they do. OK, that's fine. So so another, I guess, going down that line, as far as, you know, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, obviously you being in the military, it's a big deal because you're not in the military currently. But certainly when you were, the president has a huge decision they have huge powers they can decide whether or not you go to war you could be at home one day and then on the battlefield in another country the next day you know throughout the political process you know are you more intrigued by this election than others or you know what has been your feeling up until this point uh, having been in the military uh going back all the way back to 2000 and now you're in 2016 as a veteran what are your thoughts on how you might vote if you are voting and just just your general mindset on the election as we just three months away hmm. Well, that's, that's pretty interesting. Being in the military, and I would say that I, don't, I can't speak for all military, um, all my military brothers and sisters. However, I would say majority of us have a similar belief. And, and what we see as a commander in chief is truly that. I mean, uh, very close to what you see as what you see in your boss, you know, uh, what is he the best boss for you? Is he does he have the best he or she have the best interest in mind for you? 
Are they doing the right things for you long term for your long term success and growth uh, here in that in that position? Well, in the military, we see it the exact same way. The commander in chief is the guy who's guy or gal who sits in uh, the White House. Uh, he is the one he or she is the one who sends us off to war. And and quite frankly, I mean, um, up until this moment, I, 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 I usually played a back seat when it came to choosing my boss. Um, and most of us don't get the opportunity to, to choose our boss. And in the military and even post-military, we kind of walk around with that same mindset, uh, mainly because of the fact that when I was in the military uh, during September 11th, uh, we went through a very rocky time. We got extended for long stays, meaning if you uh, wanted to get out or were slotted to get out, you couldn't get out. Uh, that meant a lot to a lot of people. And then the residual effects of that also plays a long term, uh, uh, pays a long term price on your mind, if you will. What I mean by that is after September 11, a lot of my brothers and sisters were in Afghanistan. A lot of my brothers and sisters were in Iraq and a lot of them didn't make it back. And that means a lot. Um, and it means a lot because although we recognize that the president, the commander in chief, maintains a lot of stuff here in the U.S. or uh, uh, represents a lot of stuff, I couldn't necessarily say that he controls all a, a lot of this stuff. But one thing that they truly, 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 truly control is where that military goes to war. And it's always been in my mind, and and I've kind of overcome this thought process process, but it's always been in my mind that, man, if I were to choose someone who put my brother in the front line and my brother didn't come home, how would I feel about that? You know, oftentimes you hear people say things like, you know, uh, people who may be on the fence with voting, et cetera, they usually refer to the economy. They say something to the fact that, you know, under the XYZ administration, I lost my job. And in one sense, since you think to yourself, well, it's not because you lost that person was in office, it's because whatever you did. Well, it's a little bit harder to swallow. It's a harder pill to swallow when you think about it in this sense. I voted for this individual. This person took us to war for the wrong reasons. Because of such, my brother did not come home. That's a little bit harder. Now, with that same mindset and, and being post-military and what I've come up to believe, et cetera, you now have this current election and you look at this election, you think to yourself, well, heck, you know, I could potentially put the individual in office that could uh, send my brother to war and my brother may not come home. I could potentially put that person in there. But looking at what we have in front of us, uh, we, we have a it could be go both ways. I could not only be sending my brother to war, but I could be send, sending even greater problems right here home. So up until recently, uh, and after watching both the Republican and the Democratic debates, because quite honestly, I'm looking for a commander in chief. Um, after watching both of the entire conventions of both the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, I, I feel that, look, it's now more than ever that I should want to put the person that I feel could protect us long term. Uh, and the, Looking at the two candidates, quite honestly, I mean, I mean, I understand you guys are in the political field, but it's like looking at the candidates, I'm not impressed by neither one of them. But what I am impressed with is what Hillary can provide and and her ability and background, et cetera. So I've kind of started to gravitate that way. Of course, the 
the insaneness that Donald Trump is saying about uh, our military being weak resonates to me because I don't believe our military is weak, especially because I still have great friends that are serving in the military all over this world. And I don't like to hear that my military is weak because I feel like my friends aren't weak. And small comments at that level, all the way to the higher level of, you know, uh, siding on uh, some of our, you know, our our number one enemies uh, is something that you do not ever want to see in the commander in chief. And if I have any ability to to uh, prevent that person being our next uh, leader of our armed forces, our our Army, Navy, you know, Marines and Coast Guard, then I'm going to do my best in Air Force. I'm going to do my best. So uh, it's up until this point that I'm like, I need to get in the game. And and that's what's caused me to be more active. Well said, brother. We are talking to Trey Mathis, a.k.a. Young King. Uh, you specialize in online marketing, among other things. What's the best way that people can contact you? Is there a specific website? Are you on Twitter or Facebook? If people want to know more, how can they contact you? Oh, well, thank you very much for that. Uh, quite honestly, I'm a social person. I feel the, uh, my biggest contribution is to put a smile on your face and join your hearts. And with that being said, one of the easiest ways that you can find me is, of course, on Instagram, on Spread and Joy, left and right. Uh, I'm considered the Wi-Fi entrepreneur. Wi-Fi entrepreneur. Uh, you can find me there. Also, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me under Wi-Fi Entrepreneur on LinkedIn as well. I look forward to connecting with any and everybody. I love great conversations, so please connect with me there. Without and you, I feel like you you pretty much answered this question previously, uh, but I want to I'm gonna try to come from it at a different angle. Without looking at you and just only like reading your resume, a Trump supporter might assume that. You support their candidate. You know, you, you're all about running your own business, entrepreneurship, some of the same things that he promotes himself as. Why? Well, first, let me ask directly and make sure. Do you do you support Trump or are you more leaning towards Hillary and explain why you chose one over the other? OK, uh, I would say that. Well, first, let me say, no, I do not support Trump. OK. Um, I would like to say that I have no special allegiance to Hillary. However, given the two options, you choose the best option for you. Uh, as you just said, I am an entrepreneur. I do believe that, you know, uh, entrepreneurship is the way of the future. I believe in being as rich as you decide you want to be. I have no qualms with that, you know. Uh, but at the same time, it's deeper and bigger than that. At this point in this election, it's so much deeper because we're talking about uh, a presidential election that's uh, currently not based off of any major platform or any true direction or scope of a plan. You know, that's a little bit different than just saying, hey, if you're an entrepreneur, you should vote for Trump because that's not really the case. Um, I come from a a little bit of a self-governance background or a belief that if you want to make it in life, you it's up to you to do that. So um, so although I may not necessarily be a Republican or a Democrat in this situation, I'm siding with the Democrats. I would like to be honest and say that it doesn't necessarily make me a Democrat. It makes me a believer in who's ever saying the 
what I also believe in, that's where I will cast my vote. Uh, I, I think that's one of the hangups that I've always had with the uh, politics in general. Oftentimes, it's usually red or blue. It's either either black or white. And it's, it's nothing is ever just black and white. It's a little bit deeper. And if you take the time to decide, you know, how many of the deeper things on one side is for you and what, how many on the other side are against you, that's truly how you should be making your vote. And in this situation, we're dealing with a, a totally uneven scale. We're talking about a person who's totally unqualified for the job, completely irrational, not, I mean, just off the, the, the loop, you know, just a problem in general for the country. He's been a problem for himself, problem for all his many ex-wives. And then you look on the other side and you look at Hillary and you look at the fact that she's been uh, involved, engaged in the right situations at the right times, connected with the right people. And you've got to ask yourself, who do you want leading your country? And you, you, it is, it's clear. In this situation, it's clear. And, and that's why I've kind of uh, sided with Hillary, quote unquote, I'm with her, if, if that's what the thing is. But, uh, <laughs> but I've sided with her because of such, because she's the best person qualified to lead our country in this one, race. One of the other things you have listed is uh, you being a motivational speaker. Now, I don't I don't know if you view it the same way, but Hollywood, in my opinion, has made the motivational speaker somewhat of a caricature, somebody that just goes in and, and gets people hyped, charges a, a lot of money and then goes on about their business. They don't really help anybody. Uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to explain how you you're different. And if someone were to attend a, uh, a Trayvon, a Travian, excuse me, Travian Mathis speech, what could they expect to hear from you during one of your speeches? Wow, that's that. Thank you for that question. Uh, I do consider myself a motivational speaker. I've, I've had the privilege to grace the stage with many of the greats, uh, from Miles Monroe to Les Brown, one of my uh, mentors since I was 10 years old. Uh, being 27 years old, been able to speak with him on stage at the Atlantis Hotel. Uh, sharing the energy and fire that he built inside of me from when I was 10 years old with people who had never met me before, but people who had flown all the way to the Bahamas to meet me. That was amazing. It's truly amazing. Uh, what I would like to say is that I don't necessarily call, I, even though I am a motivational speaker, what they can expect from me is a dream igniter. Whatever it is that's inside of you that you need to ignite and let and set on fire, I'm the person to do that. I'm not the person to tell you that, hey, you can do anything. What I'm telling you is that you can do whatever it is you want to do. I can't do that. Uh, I truly believe that what's ever in a person's heart to do in life, they should absolutely do it. And if I can have a conversation, whether it's not whether it's five minutes or five days or five months with that person. So they decide that they can do this. Then that's I, I just want to be there. I want to be that person who makes that shift. So. um in the future and in the present, if a person were to connect with me on um, any of my channels or connect with me anywhere in life, they can expect a dream igniter. Well said. We again are talking to Trey Mathis. He's the CEO, co-founder of Locate Your City Incorporation. Uh, he's a young entrepreneur, as I stated earlier. Uh, and as you just heard, he's a dream igniter. I've never really heard it put that way so I like that 
Uh, you've done some cool things, man. You, your system engineering for different agencies like the NSA and the Census Bureau. So I invite you all to check this brother out. Instagram, Facebook, he's on LinkedIn. Check them out. Um, we're going to get you out of here, Trey. If you, if there's anything else you'd like to say, go ahead. If not, we really, really want to thank you for coming on. I know it was last minute, and we just appreciate you being a guest on the show today. Well, I really appreciate you guys inviting me on the show. Uh, it was absolutely a pleasure. I really like what you guys are doing. I really like the direction. I'm pretty sure that your listeners are excited about uh, the fact that you've decided to start this. So thank you very much for allowing me to come on. Thank you for uh, allowing me to just have a sit down and chat with you guys. This was a lot of fun. Uh, again, I just ask that, you know, please connect with me, continue to connect with me. Again, I'm Wi-Fi entrepreneur, Wi-Fi like the Internet, entrepreneur like what you want to be. So Wi-Fi entrepreneur, please connect with me. I'm both on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. I thank you both for your time, and I really appreciate you for allowing me to come on and share. I want to thank Mr. Mathis for joining us today. Um, I really like the whole Dream Igniter thing that he mentioned. Um, he has a lot going on. He fought for our country. He's doing some great things. And and he's not just an entrepreneur that's trying to make himself rich. You know, his services reach out to others that are also pursuing their dream. Uh, and he can help you market and help it grow as well. So if you're into that, like we talked to LaShondra Holmes Young a few episodes ago, and she has the online story that thing going. So if you have that type of business going and you're looking to grow your business, he's a great person that you may want to check out and, and see if he can take you to that next level. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the interview before we move on, Frank. Oh, it was a it was a great interview. You know, I'm I'm very familiar with Trey. You know, we've known each other for about a decade. So everything he said, he's doing. He definitely is. I know it's you're like, wow, this guy's doing a lot, but he, he works really hard. So you know, everything he's doing. Now he's doing it, like you said, to help others. And it is important that, you know, as a country, as individuals, certainly in this next generation, as we raise our children to have them uh, understand entrepreneurship and self-reliance is really important because the, the information age has really wreaked havoc on our, our country as far as education. You know, do you need a college degree? Don't you need a college degree? You know. There, there's so many things going around. I think that entrepreneurship is is a it's not it's not a cure all for everything, but it's a, certainly a path that is worth uh, looking at for you know not just yourself but also for your children because the job situation in in America and the world in general, as we're going to get to with some of the, you talk about the TPP, that's going to be effect that's going to affect some things. And so you know being able to have your own business or knowing how to you know run a business and make your own money is very important. Lots of sports and race talk to get to in a moment. Before we get on it, I mentioned that we we're going to discuss Trans-Pacific Partnership, also known as TPP. Uh, real quick, basically, it's it's our country with 11, 11 other countries, and we've come to this agreement. And what it's supposed to do, not saying that it will, but what President Obama is hoping that it would do is increase American exports. You know how we always, you always hear things aren't made in America anymore. Well, this is to like guarantee that these countries will buy products from America in exchange we will buy from theirs as well. So it's supposed to, you know, add more jobs, increase wages, and like I said, expand American export. Now, Bernie and Trump are against 
TPP. And Hillary, she also is against it. But, you know, this is one of the reasons, you know, I always question why are Trump and Hillary so close in the polls? Why don't people like Hillary? This is one of the reasons. She's against TPP now. As Secretary of State, she championed and championed for this deal. She called it the gold standard in trading. Now, all of a sudden, I guess she had an epiphany. She's against TPP now. I don't know if that's to appease Bernie voters or if she just really feels like it's not a good deal, but that's where she is right now with it. Um, I just, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Is that, do you think that's pop political or did she really, do you think that's genuine, Frank? And is TPP something you followed on? Do you think it's good or bad for the country? Because President Obama is, you know, he's really, really for this and he thinks it'll be a great, great thing for America. I mean, TPP is a really detailed agreement. I've read some of it. It is between, as you mentioned, 12 countries, including uh, ourselves. It eliminates a lot of the tariffs between uh, the like between all the countries involved, so that it's easier to, uh, you know, trade between, uh, have trade between, more free trade. So that's on paper it looks good, but there there could be slippery slope things that you don't know. Like, okay, well, you know, how could this affect? Other things, if you take tariffs off this one thing, uh, you know, here and there, I think it's important to understand that. I don't fully understand that. Uh, one of the things that is positive about TPP is they're supposedly cracking down on child labor uh, practices where, you know, obviously we, we, we see people talking about, you know, places where child children are making Nikes and iPhones and such and things like that. Those are crack down on some of those things. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, have ch have not have children working and have laborers and sa laborers in safer conditions. So there's some positive things there. These big agreements are just hard to, to navigate early on and say it's going to work without without a hitch or to say it's not going to work. I think it's just like one of those things where it's a big move and we'll find out whether or not it was a good move or, or not uh, soon. As far as Hillary's flip flopping, uh, you know, it just it just it's that's that's like you mentioned. That's why people don't necessarily people don't warm up to her i mean even going back to the interview with trey travian mathis he talks and he says oh well you know i don't support trump but i just can't warm, warm to hillary and part of that is because she's not consistent and you know she's she's on one side one minute the other side the next minute and i think that's what's tough i think that her her waffling on major issues like this is the reason why it's so close i think you said that already but I think that's that's a great point. If she was just who she was um, from day one, but she's she's all over the place. And, you know, I can't I can't call it. But to me, I would say uh, for those interested in TPP, I, we'll, we'll definitely post an article on our Facebook. You can read all about it. And I'm still learning more about it myself. So I don't want to comment and say it's going to be a great thing. It's going to be a bad thing. I think that when you have that many countries involved and you talk about taking off tariffs and promoting free trade, Things start happening where if there's a loophole where one company can start, or excuse me, one country can start doing something to monopolize something that you haven't foreseen, it can cause a problem. And that's the problem with these big trade agreements is you can't foresee all the issues and what will happen in the future. So that's why it's, da it's a dangerous from that standpoint. But from the other standpoint, there's a lot more, uh, you know, trade going on, a lot more. Um, products that were tariff, high tariffs will not be. So that, that's a positive thing, uh, as you mentioned.
I mentioned at the beginning of the show when we just when we were discussing Trump that his vice presidential uh, running mate Mike Pence <laughs> he's for TPP even though Trump is against it. Uh, and of course, Obama is for it, and he he wants Congress to ratify this by I don't I can't remember if it's before the election or after the election, but sometime in November, Obama wants Congress to ratify it, and I'm not exactly sure what Congress stands on it, but if I were the president, I wouldn't hold my breath on that because you're talking about a guy who can't even get a hearing for a Supreme Court nominee. They won't even get a guy a hearing, so. To expect Congress to do something that big for him uh, and he'll be in lame duck status by then, it's kind of hard to fathom. And one last thing, I mentioned that Bernie is against it. Some specific reasons he's against it is he actually feels like it'll do a lot of the opposite things that TPP is expected to do. He feels like it'll lose jobs, much like NAFTA did. It'll lose jobs for America. It'll lower wages. And one of the things he points out specifically is the FDA already they only inspect about one to two percent of the food that comes in the country, which, if you think about that, is scary as hell. He's saying they've already rejected, you know, certain seafood and foods from Vietnam, which is one of the countries in this TPP agreement. He's saying now with this TPP deal, it'll overwhelm the FDA and we'll start receiving even more food from countries like Vietnam, which, like I mentioned, we already reject a lot of their food coming in. So they already only expect about 1% to 2% of the food. You're adding a, a, a much bigger workload to that agency, and he just feels like more bad stuff will get through. So he's against it. And it'll just be interesting to see, A, if it passes and how it works out. So me and Frank will keep an eye on that. Uh, we're going to get out of here, but before we go, there has been a whole lot of talk about, you know, race, police shootings with our athletes in certain sports. Quick rundown. Charles Barkley, he's about to get his own show on TNT discussing race. Richard Sherman, who plays for the Seattle Seahawks, he did an interview with The Undefeated. Uh, that's a, a, a company with ESPN. Uh, he did an interview with the Undefeated, and he is kind of on the uh, All Lives Matter side, if you will. And uh, you have his teammate, Michael Bennett, who they asked him about, you know, during the ESPYs, you had LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Paul, and Dwayne Wade come out and make a statement before the ESPYs started. And he was asked, you know, who would be the four NFL players that should come out and speak out? And he said some things, and he said, you know, right now we don't have that in this league. We have people like Cam Newton who are just collecting dollars. Now, he had to apologize for that, and rightfully so, because he was wrong to, know, you know, just single out that one person. But uh, you had that going on. And the big, biggest story of them all, as we mentioned earlier, Michael Jordan finally released a statement. Michael Jordan has been criticized for so long. Ever since the whole Republicans buy shoes thing, he has been criticized for so long for not speaking out on anything. He spoke out on this, basically saying that the death of African-Americans and the targeting police has him frustrated him. He can no longer be silent. Um, the MJ quote. Uh, but one last thing I wanted to say before I get that. I just feel like it's real ironic for the same people that are now pointing to uh, Richard Sherman saying, see, 
He gets it. All lives matter. That's what we've been trying to say. A lot of those people are the same people that were calling him a thug and a criminal and probably even the N-word just a couple of years ago when he did an interview with the uh, female reporter. So I thought that was ironic how you, you hold him up when you agree with him, yet you, you criticized him and, and judged him off a, a petty interview just two or three years ago. So I thought that was interesting and ironic. But Michael Jordan, though, Frank, too little, too late, a good start. What was your thoughts? when you Were you surprised? What were your thoughts on Michael Jordan finally speaking out on something? I, you know, I didn't really have too much of a thought. I, I kind of felt, I feel like because of Jordan, Jordan is is not as relevant as he used to be. And so I think for him just to release that statement, while there's nothing wrong with the statement and there's nothing wrong with the donation that he made to, to both causes, it's kind of one to me, I wouldn't say it's too little too late, but it's like, what what's the next step? It's like, if that's all you do, after, for all your influence and everything you've done, if all you do is make that statement and donate a million dollars to each organization, to me, that's not significant enough because you're Michael Jordan and you're, you know, still very significant, you know, culturally. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't seen Jordan play, but I mean, Jordan is still regarded by many uh, to be the greatest player to ever have played. So for him to have that kind of stature and to just release a statement, it's like, you know, I listen to Bomani Jones on the way, you know, when I drive home sometimes and he made a very good point. He said, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with what Michael Jordan said, nothing wrong with what he did. He's like, but, you know, what are the next steps? Are you going to have an interview with somebody? You're going to, you know, we want to hear you talk, we want to hear your voice. You know, you had a statement put out. You probably got three layers of press, you know, hey, can I say this like this? And so it's like it's 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 a very crafted and concocted statement that. Yeah, it's a nice statement, but people don't remember what it said exactly. I mean, you can go back and read it, but I think him, I think when you compare what LeBron, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, and Carmelo did getting out there, uh, you know, with their influence in the middle of the ESPYs and saying that, to me, that is the kind of thing that I'm looking to see Michael Jordan do. I'm not trying to say he should get up at the ESPYs because he wasn't necessarily relevant there, but it's just like, Hey, show up at a rally, not necessarily even a Black Lives Matter rally, but show up at a rally, host a town hall for the communities to get together and talk with the, you know, community officials, the police and and the citizens. You know, those are the things that I want to see him do, not just release a a handcrafted statement and donate a couple million dollars. We know money is really no object for Jordan with, I mean, a couple million dollars, no offense. I mean, that's, that's a, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with the donation, but for him, it wasn't like that broke him at all. You know, let's be real about it. And it's a tax write-off for him as well. Cause I'm pretty sure those are charitable organizations he donated to. So I'm not trying to totally kill a donation or kill a statement. I'm just saying that if that's all he does after all this time, it's just like, ah, uh, well, you just, you just felt pressure. You just wanted to do something because you saw everybody else, standing up and you kind of wanted to throw your two cents in but certainly he has a chance to make an impact and do more uh, and I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and see if he will do more but if this is it then I then it wasn't enough to me I said some of the similar things um to me what Michael Jordan said was was weak and as you stated Bomani Jones he man he talked about this in great depth I encourage you all to go listen to like YouTube or whatever you have to do to listen to his thoughts on this whole Michael Jordan article because, I mean, he broke it down from all angles. 
and he did a great job with it. But what Michael Jordan said was weak, in my opinion. Now, where he gave his money, and, and Bomani Jones also stated this, where he gave his money was impressive to me. You know, one of the groups he gave his money to is a group that is really fighting hard to reform, you know, how police police these inner cities and hold them more accountable. And I, I thought that was impressive. But here's the thing that, in my opinion, Frank, America has to do. This is what we need to decide on when, you, when we're talking about, you know, the killing of unarmed males and now females and just racism in general. We have to decide if this is an American problem or just a black problem, because if it's an American problem, then we don't need to just wait on Michael Jordan to say something. We can ask white athletes as well. We can ask Larry or, or Dirk Nowitzki or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady about these shootings of black black Americans, black males, black females that are unarmed, questionable shootings. We can ask uh, Luke Keekley about racism and, and institutionalized racism in this country. We can ask white celebrities about it, not just the black ones. If it's not American problem, if it's just a black problem, then let's not just punish Michael Jordan, because I hear a lot of people say, well, you need to stop buying his shoes because he never speak out. Well, Kevin Durant is a superstar. He sells shoes. I don't recall him ever speaking out. Steph Curry, he's a superstar. He sells shoes. Let's not just punish Michael Jordan. If this is a black problem, let's hold all, and we're going to only address black athletes, let's hold all black, black athletes accountable. If it's just a black problem, I don't want to hear white people quote black on black, black on black crime statistics again, because if it's a black problem, then you therefore saying that you don't care. So if you don't care about the solutions, we don't want to hear your mouth about the problems. Finally, if it's just a black problem, again, I don't want to hear white people quoting Martin Luther King because you love to quote Martin Luther King. But if you view this as just a black problem, Martin Luther King said an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And if you're going to turn your head because, oh, it was just a black male, I'm sure it was a reason he got shot. I'm sure the police was right. I'm sure Walter Scott was wrong. I'm sure Trayvon Martin was a thug. Eric Gardner should have just surrendered. Tamir Rice had what he got what he had coming. If you're going to view it like that, don't quote that good man's speeches ever again. Give us solutions or don't speak on it at all. So, again, we need to decide if this is a black problem or if it's an American problem. If it's an American problem, then we don't need to hear from just black people. We need to hear from everybody and find a solution to this. Frank, I'm going to let you take us out. I just want to say thank you, listeners, again. You guys mean so much to us. We do this for you guys. This is fun for us. Uh, we love doing it. So subscribe, Politically Entertaining. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean Podcast. Check us out. Tell friends about us. Help spread the word. Frank, thank you for everything you do. Take us out, man. Again, thank you for listening. We're excited. The election is only 90 days away. Again, while the presidential election is very important, we want to encourage all all you listeners out there who are going to vote to make sure you, who you know you know who you're voting for in the local elections because that is very important. That is more important actually than the presidential election. So while you can make your choice between Hillary, uh, Donald Trump, and uh, Gary Johnson, certainly know. Who, who you who's running locally for you that's going to make the biggest difference for you again thank you for listening as byron said tell your friends uh get involved with the political process with a united electorate we can definitely have the change we want to see we're excited 
Uh, we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.